0: Hello everybody, it's your toxic, waste-covered, mutated, green, vomit-spewing bruiser Holden McNeely. And it's me, your
1: uh, weird latex prosthetic with a bubbling balloon under it. So it looks like it's like gooshing underneath the surface of the skin. And then I get hit in the nuts and they play a literal boing-oing <laughs> sound effect. And I cross my eyes as if that was something that has made anyone laugh before <laughs> 70 in the past 70 years. <laughs> Wizard,
0: yeah, wizard. We're doing trauma, <laughs> yeah, baby. We're doing trauma. Um, and uh, we're so excited to be doing this. Um, uh, also special shout outs. This is actually a patron uh, donated one, which is amazing because I feel like Troma. Idiot. We did done it anyway. <laughs> I feel like we done it anyway. Such a dear, dear place in my heart. So I just hey, holding.
1: Guess what I did with my share of his money. What'd you do? I went to the fucking dentist. I mean, I paid for like a fifth of going to the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh,
0: So thank you yet again, or or thank you for the first time. We haven't thanked you yet. Case Aiken. Once again, Case Aiken, thank you again for this patronage, uh, this Patreon Supported episode. I have like a love for trauma. I've been to the trauma offices. We'll get into it later. I've met Lloyd Coffin on multiple occasions. Uh, I've met a lot all the all the trauma people over there. Their offices in Queens. I'm so. Uh, can you tell how excited I am? Uh, so, anyways, Case uh, uh, hosts two podcasts. He hosts uh, Scruffy Nerf Herders, a Star Wars D20 real play game set between A New Hope and uh, set between A New Hope and Empire. Uh, he is the DM of that. It's uh, the kind of series where a mon calamari pimp might try to push his shaved wookie whore on the characters also another pass is a movie exploration series where we spitball what could have been done at the time of production with a movie that might be good might be bad but definitely could be Better, Even, even better. Both can be found at certainpov.com. So once again, that Scruffy Nerd Herders is the Star Wars D20 real play game and a role play game, rather. I'm sure that's role play and not real play. I mean, real
1: gameplay as opposed to, you know, those DD podcasts where they just like do scripted <laughs>
0: encounters. <laughs> and also Another Pass, the movie exploration series. I'm really interested in Another Pass, especially. Yeah, that sounds I like a really good concept. I kind of want to check that out. So I think I will, Case. Okay, so thank you again, dude, Case Aiken. Uh, really appreciate it. You are the shit for donating, specifically for trauma, because like I don't know about you, Jake, but for me, trauma. Uh, had, has a, has a, a, a soft spot in my heart from way back when. I remember watching these movies, you know, Toxic Avenger, um, Class, uh, Newcom High. I remember just like seeing the trailer for Sergeant Kabuki Man <laughs> and just getting like so excited, like just laughing my ass off and just being so happy that movies like these exist mm-hmm. and and that somebody out there was making just this batshit crazy wonderful stuff. And then when you dig a little deeper, the story is just so interesting. And I think the the best thing and i think my personal like thesis statement for this episode is just like everybody needs a space to start uh their filmmaking career their mm-hmm. their artistry everybody needs a space where they can begin their art and trauma not only has created so many memorable Uh, crazy uh, over-the-top movie experiences themselves but also as the launching pad for all of these incredible names that we all know now that they all like everybody's got to like do a trauma movie when they first get into the business you know what i mean of some form or another whether it be trauma or some other place but they need this this kind of production studio is so important for the art Mm-hmm. In, in this crazy way, and it's so funny because I mean, when you think of trauma, you think of like dudes with like bones through their noses and just like a ridiculous gore and s- smashed heads. And I a- think of specifically
1: a watermelon that someone stuffed with uh, fake guts and then ran over with a car. That's yes. when I
0: think of tra- exactly, and and like, and yet at the same time, trauma has remained true to themselves and true to their art. Uh, more so than than like you could say to almost like any other studio because they really do stick with wh- what what they are passionate about even if their passion is at the end of the day a whole bunch of schlock you know what I mean um, and I don't know it's just like an amazing thing and then uh, and we'll get into all the people that kind of came through trauma came out of trauma um, uh, of course we we're gonna talk all about Lloyd Kaufman um, and a little bit less so but we'll also talk about Michael Hertz because it's hard to talk. Too much about Michael Hertz because he's the private one. Lloyd Kaufman's the big, you know, mm-hmm. boisterous face of the company. Um, uh, and oh my god, I, I, I'm I'm just I'm very very excited to get into this. So so for me, I mean, I was watching this stuff in high school. I think one of the
1: everyone was watching in high school. One of the is the official film studio of. I have enough money to actually access movies, and I want to get the I want to get something that encapsulates all the shit that I was not allowed to look at. Yes. For like the trauma wheelhouse is movies in which they show things you
0: aren't supposed to be able to show in movies. For my personal experience, uh, I remember. Uh, I, you know there was like blockbuster video right of course so the kids might not know this but there was a video rental store uh, where you could go and get videos and take them home and watch plastic them. plastic
1: rectangles <laughs> and you'd say to the store owner I don't know anything about any of these movies the movie I really want is out because I came on a Friday night I'm just gonna look at colorful boxes in which everyone has the right
0: amount of words and shapes I'm gonna take home. And the clerk would then say are you sure you're old enough to view you this softcore pornography film, and you would say, "Please, for the love of God, if I don't go take care of my business, I'm gonna burn this whole store to the ground." So there was Blockbuster Video, but uh, there was also we the- all remember when we threatened to commit arson because we couldn't jack it. <laughs> classic childhood <laughs> so there was blockbuster video which is the mainstream had all the whatever mm-hmm. the boring Hollywood blockbuster films and all that kind of stuff but there was also the cool I don't know if you had this but there was the cool video rental store in there town. was the
1: alternative one yeah. and
0: I discovered that one uh it was in Charlotte I don't know if it's still around but shout outs to it regardless Vizart video Vizart video was the place to go I found out about it when I was just starting to become a bit, you know a bit of a film buff or at least just get really really excited Mm -hmm. about movies you know renting movies like every weekend just tearing through stuff and um they you know it was the cool indie video store and they literally had a trauma section and that was like the coolest thing ever to me. I think another part of discovering them, which is a story we'll get to later, but Cannibal the musical. I was like way obsessed with South Park, like oh, a lot yeah. of kids my age. And I remember wanting to just know where these dudes came from, and I traced it back to Orgasmo, which was fantastic and feels like a trauma film, even though it is not. Uh, and then before that was the the trauma uh, per, uh, produced or not produced the trauma um, distributed. They film, put in a. Of, the um, they put
1: in a little bit of money to finish the to put like a finishing touch on it. Ah. But, um,. Yeah, it was a student film initially.
0: Yes, and and uh, out of out of Boulder. Well, and we'll we'll talk. We'll we'll cover that I- later too. But that is definitely where I kind of found Trauma, and they had commercials for or trailers for their other Trauma movies before <laughs> that. Um, and so yeah, that was kind of me. So were you also? Did you go through a like a high school Trauma phase at any point?
1: I didn't. Um, but my experience with Trauma is just from being a admittedly uh lazy and not very productive creative person and uh my friends that loved film my friends that wanted to make movies were obsessed with trauma throughout my life i've met people that are just you know just have a love for these movies and that reflected love is what i've been like trying to get to the bottom of and it kind of just boils down to when you decide like i want to make movies i want to be involved in the filmmaking process You see how daunting the major studio process is. You understand the grim reality that, like, well, you got into NYU or you got to, like, know somebody and get an internship or you got to, you know, Uh uh, slave away in obscurity and hope that, like, your one screenplay goes through. And you got to, like, take seminars where you learn how to save the cat in act one and all this (laughs) bullshit. And watching a trauma movie, all of a sudden you realize that it's not that difficult like i i say it's I don't mean to be insulting but like you know if you're nervous about like what it means to make a movie and the gravity and like the impo- the imposition
0: you know you need the, to just like stop worrying and shut the fuck up and make your movie
1: yeah yeah and uh, and that's what
0: the 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 energy of trauma films is right yeah. just make your fucking movie uh that being said god are oh, so bad <laughs> they're real fucking
1: bad like the like ah uh, it's they're not they're, like, Sergeant Kabuki man has like seven good minutes in it and the rest <laughs> of it is just like boring bullshit. I mean,
0: I would argue that Toxic Avenger and Class of Newcomb High, I legitimately enjoy the shit out of those movies. Like, Toxic Avenger is,
1: is real good. Uh, Class of Newcomb High, uh, we'll stick with you. It definitely you, did has, you
0: watch? Did you watch it uh, recently? Like I, I just, and this is what I mean too. I mean, sit with your buddies with yes. like a six pack of beer each. You know, directly. Other next people to you. and
1: alcohol are almost entirely necessary <laughs> yes. to enjoy a trauma film. To its but fullest. in
0: in that way, in that fashion, or with my buddies back in high school at like two in the morning. This is such this is the mwah, just the the way to do it, right? And yeah. and you will enjoy. it. I think I sat with Ed. Like what that's what you need. You need Ed. You need Ed Larson in the room with you. <laughs> well, he, that's true about literally all forms of media. <laughs> I guess that's true. But sit, sitting down it's with like Ed a and violent watching Violent Panda of a man. Sitting with Ed and watching a Troma movie is like a phenomenal great experience. So like with the right people in a, in, a, in a in a in that situation kind of like, you know, slasher films mm-hmm. and yada yada yada. Um I I, I do think there's like there is merit to some of these and for the other ones it's still again just you're gonna hear the you know schlock just schlock pure uh, schlock with no regard just in your face you know there's something to be said about that it's just such a fun marvel you know (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's it's it to lean into badness you know is 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 fun and funny to me i like love that you know um, good bad and you know what i mean like that kind of thing
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's and honestly it's it's fascinating we could unpack this forever but it's just such this weird uh community and subculture where like everyone is a teen like everyone is a teenager at some point and like you finally have like freedom to move about and you get to like move past the barriers that were put in front of you and you get to like see the muck. You get yes. to just like climb into the muck. And every every red-blooded American boy at some point picks up a trauma movie and just gets into the muck and goes like, oh wow, this is gross. Yeah. Yep. And then like usually wash it off. But the people who like stick with trauma are just like, I am the muck. Yeah. Finally someone has made my home. <laughs>
0: Um, so, anyways, let's get into it. Let's talk about first Lloyd Kaufman and then also Michael Hertz. And then I think the story of Troma is almost best told through its movies that yeah. they came out with. And so I feel like as we kind of run through the movies, because you can each movie represents a point in their financial stability, a mm-hmm. point in their growth as a company, um, or uh, de-evolution de- <laughs> a, as a company. So Lloyd Kaufman, born in December 1945 in New York City, to a jewish family father was a lawyer uh skipped to just pretty i don't i didn't get a lot on his childhood but i do know he graduated from yale university in the class of 1968 and he majored in chinese studies um of well this... uh,
1: lloyd kaufman it's kind of came up in this like second generation jewish uh and i want to say class almost of uh of of new yorkers Uh, In a way, it's I can't tell if he's like early boomer, I guess, technically, but uh, he uh, was friends with Oliver Stone in second grade. His partner, uh, Michael Hertz, was friends with his brother and uh, he uh, in sixth grade, he claims that he saw Frankenstein and that. The combination of high melodrama and important, like, uh, metatextual themes about, like, the mob and, like, how, you know, the freaks can be, like, unfairly uh, 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 prejudiced against. And, yeah, just the grossness of, like, reanimating the dead kind of left a mark on him. And so, like, that was where his, like, spark for horror came from. Ah. Uh, and uh, he went to Yale to become a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and he t- uh, but he, he ends up majoring in t- Chinese studies, of which he said, I majored in Chinese studies. I'm probably the only director of chicken Indian zombie movies who can speak <laughs> pretty good Mandarin.
1: Uh, <laughs> but he claims that uh, he, but he'll talk about how he went to Yale like nonstop. It's like <laughs> number one thing is like, well, first you need to know I went to Yale. Um, but... Uh, He talks about feeling this like sense of mediocrity, like, you know, because he was just this like nerdy, you know, nebbishy Jewish kid who was surrounded by like the best and the brightest, you know, like, uh, 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 you know, future presidents and Olympians were his classmates at Yale University. It's probably the first time he was like outside of New York City. And so like he kind of has this off sense of identity. Uh, A lot of his early student films uh, are literally about him and his sense of alienation and inability to fit in uh but he finds community in the film society
0: yes uh it was actually a, a his roommate who ends up introducing him to a bunch of different movies uh uh and a bunch of different directors and sort of got him fascinated with movies and into the film society and everything uh he he got really into um he got really into uh, John Ford films, who did uh, like the Searchers. <laughs> Kenji Mizuguchi, who did Ugetsu and uh, various other things, a very auteurish dude. Uh, Ernst Lubitsch, who uh, did Trouble in Paradise. Stan Brakhage, who was an experimental filmmaker, and then Franklin Schaffner, who did uh, Patton and Planet of the Apes. These very auteur style filmmakers very much in in their in their own shit this was
1: like big time Godard like black and white auteur movie
0: uh uh uh, uh. This was like the rise of that. And it's all because he met a couple of buddies, Robert Edelstein and Eric Sherman, who is a son of Vincent Sherman, who ended up directing uh, Errol Flynn and Joan Crawford in pictures for Warner Brothers back during the kind of the studio system of Hollywood. And uh, yeah, so he gets into the film society and, and starts getting more involved there, Jake.
1: Yeah, he starts making uh, films. He uh Holds a screening for his first movie. I think it's called The Girl Who Returned. It was a yes. silent movie shot on his bowl Did you camera. watch
0: any of The Girl Who Returned?
1: I mean, it's I. They just sh- I watched a documentary put out by Troma. Yes. So like, it makes Kaufman look very good.
0: I pull. It's all on YouTube, and yeah. it is uh, The Girl Who Returned is, and it is pretty fascinating. It's definitely, um, uh, it's definitely just an excuse to show women sort of jumping around in a field. It's about the. It's about the, the, it's like the Olympic Games, and it's these women who I think there's some sort of a lesbian relationship going on between two, between our two main characters. Um, it, I love this quote. I think this is from Wikipedia. What the film lacked in a coherent plot and made up for in endless gratuitous shots of scantily clad women exercising. Bing uh, bong. Kaufman described it as boring, um, and uh essentially said, If you put two monkeys in a room with movie cameras, they will make the girl who returned in twelve days, which is uh, kind of a riff on based on the um infinite monkey theorem. Mm-hmm. If you put a monkey in a room and a typewriter for infinity, it will uh, create like all of Shakespeare's plays and and yada 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 will eventually type all of those things out um, uh, but anyways
1: this is also where he ends up meeting michael hers uh, yes. his partner at trauma films uh, kaufman claims that his their friendship was born uh, a because they kind of knew each other from back in new york and b uh, because Kaufman had a television in his dorm room and hers had a pinball machine. Yes, exactly,
0: because mm. apparently the two during this time even didn't really get along that well, mm-hmm. uh, but they just kind of needed each other for their various...
1: Uh, <laughs> Entertainment devices.
0: Yes, <laughs> so, so uh, that was going on. Uh, but also, I mean, his classmates are um, mo- most famously for Kaufman, uh, Oliver Stone, who they would end up eventually forming a film company together for just a little bit, and then Oliver Stone ended up uh, leaving on that. So uh, uh, immediately we have big names associated with Kaufman that are kind of running through his history with movie making, which is really fascinating. In
1: 1966, he graduates and goes to, uh, I don't know if it's USAID or whatever. It's it's not like the Peace Corps yet, right?
0: No, yeah, USAID. uh, He goes to uh, Chad in Africa.
1: And there he makes homemade movies of, uh, hear me out, Uh, naked women and animal butchering on a 16 millimeter camera and uh, then showing the footage to his friends and family at home he claims to have discovered uh, the raw draw the the pure visceral impact of just showing people a bunch of gross shit they're not prepared to see
0: (laughs) so uh after graduation coffin works for canon films and this is a production company. Legendary production company. Got their start making English. And initially, they were making English versions of Swedish soft core porn films. Uh, as well as slightly bigger productions, but on a B-level. And Coffin ends up collaborating. All right, next name that we're going to mention, Coppin ends up working with. John G. Uh, Avildsen, who uh, directed Rocky and Karate Kid. This is, of course, before that. Uh, and they make a movie called Joe. Which is about a father getting revenge on drug-using hippies, and again, this is like directly in line with the kind of exploitation films we mm-hmm. we get from this time. There's there's dudes doing drugs. There's it's you know death wishy lascivious women. There's a revenge story. Peter there's Boyle. violence. <laughs> yeah, all that good stuff. And Peter Boyle is yes in this movie. This is like one of his first movies, and um, they uh. Th- they do that movie then he moves on to his second feature the battle of love's return which is a comedy about a loser who sets out to find himself only to meet a series of characters that cause trouble for him it's actually well reviewed by publications such as the new york is that times Is that stars Kaufman? uh is is it starring him i th- it's, if not there's, sure, if to if there's a up.
1: nerd that like just talks to a bunch of hippies about his own lack of identity then i think it might be starring him <laughs> but uh
0: uh, I do know he's in it, so you're probably right, because his father says of the movie, uh, when asked what what his favorite part was to Lloyd Kaufman's father, he responded, the part where Lloyd gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, next, though, comes the uh, films. Uh, we, we Well, we get into... We're starting to get into the is this, uh, what's the fuss, Gus? The sex movies and stuff. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. We're getting it, but but uh, Sugar Cookies is the next one, a lesbian revenge fr- thriller. It's if a you want to see film two, two,
1: 1970s ladies just nakedly rub up against each other like they were bears trying
0: to scratch each other. That's the movie for you. By the way, you're right. Kaufman did star uh, oh, okay. in Battle of Love's Return. Yes, absolutely. Kaufman was able to actually raise $100,000 uh, himself in order to make the movie. And this is kind of where you start to see Kaufman savvy at pulling money together, even even on the lowest level possible, to get movies made. This is something that he was very, very into, uh, had a lot of ingenuity with, just getting these films Created. Next came the Israeli comedy film Big Gun, Big Gus. What's the fuss? Uh, and this is the weirdest shit ever.
1: So legendary <laughs> Israeli trash film producers Golan and Globus, um, you know, said that like you know, there's this untapped market in Israel. They're idiots. They'll see anything in Hebrew. Uh, you know, movies there will last for months and months in nobody's, the theaters.
0: Nobody's making them, so no. they're just starved for new movies. Anything you make, doesn't matter what it is, will be a hit. It's just a surefire winner. Uh,
1: cue the Arrested Development narrator voice. It wasn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the day it opened, war broke out in Israel, leading to it being a complete and utter disaster. This is probably one of the first times Coffin's actually seeing, you know, a big loss happen with, mm. with uh, a movie. It's It just totally tanks. Um, what and year is this? This is uh, around, it's early 70s, I think. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I think I'd have to pull it up, but uh, I believe this is, like, early 70s. Because
1: we, we did the thing we always do on these episodes where I just, like, dove into interviews and stuff, and like I. but you have, like, the actual timeline.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, 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 total, total and utter bomb. And, and from then on, Kaufman is now essentially hiding under the name uh, Louis Sue and creating a handful of adult films in New York. Such as the Divine Obsession and Sweet and Sour, and these are all literally just like straight kind of porno movies uh, that they would show in those. See, New York was a different time back in the day. Times Square was not the M M&M and M store and the Disney store. Times Square was nothing but pornography houses where you could go and watch porn movies, and they seem to have an endless array of them. If you look at old black and white pictures. It is, like, ludicrous how many different movies are playing in each movie theater. You know what I mean? I mean, it is just, like, they're just pumping out these movies. And, you know, really, the story of the early parts of Trauma really coincide with, like, the evolution of pornography in America in a lot of ways. And are kind of, like, based on where... Porn went when it came to like softcore versus the real thing, kind of kind of pumping out and becoming more of a thing in the mainstream. This is like all exploding in the seventies, right? It's becoming more and more accepted. You know, I think with like deep throat was one of the first big like hugely popular porn movies, and that caused a an eruption in America on each side. Can you side. please stop
1: talking about pumping eruptions <laughs>
0: it was it was it was huge it was throbbing the the need for the need for the industry reached a
1: climax <laughs> and after which uh, they just never had the same energy
0: because and we're about to get to it but like then we get the advent of the 80s sex comedy and that's where we're about we're headed with trauma uh when trauma is first established that's where we get but why don't we take a step back here and talk a little bit uh about Michael Hurts coming into the oh. picture. Okay, you want yeah, let's. Uh, you want to go into Rocky right now?
1: Uh, it's just uh, a movie he worked on with uh, <clears throat> Avelson. uh You know, he claims to have fought hard for them to shoot on location in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, he's uh, the quote is like, "Can you even imagine the movie without the steps in front of the library?" Uh, he. Uh, Uh, is the bum that Rocky actually soldier carries outside of the dive bar and places down and like the outside shot and the inside shot were shot on separate coasts and he Mm. flew out to LA just for the sake of consistency Uh, and Avelson thanks Lloyd Kaufman in his Oscar acceptance speech for Rocky so that was like his first taste of like big Hollywood
0: and it's also uh, your first taste in this story of him helping an up-and-comer break through And and learn about, uh, you know... Stallone, you're talking about Stallone. Yeah, yeah. Helping... uh, uh, But of Coffin being instrumental in uh, somebody's kind of breakthrough moment of of just assisting. You know, he always says... uh, It's a lonely world being independent, and they can come away with the idea that if Lloyd Coffin can make movies with people getting their heads squashed with hard-bodied lesbians, women masturbating with pickles, graphic diarrhea, and singing and dancing chicken zombies, if he can do that for 40 years and put his kids through Yale, Columbia, and Duke, if that idiot can do it, anybody can do it. Um, But also that he says, I believe that independent filmmaking is the last frontier of creative expression available so I'm always willing to lend a helping hand to a young filmmaker who's just getting into the business and he's doing all different sorts of things he's location scouting he's you know revising scripts he's he's on the production end he's on the directorial end he's on the PA end I mean he's he's really kind of helping in whatever way is needed and I think that that's such a huge part to play in in the movies that he ended up making as we go where he's literally like wearing like 80 different hats to get Mm -hmm. these independent films made because uh there, there are things he believes in and there are also things that he just knows how to handle all of it so he knows that he can definitely get his movies made um for for Hertz though um he ends up uh like he's friends with Kaufman in Yale but he ends up going off to New York University and studying law he then kind of secretly harbors a desire to become a screenwriter. His girlfriend at the time, Maris, uh, who is also a friend to Kaufman, he takes... Uh, Hertz to go see a movie uh, Coffin's latest movie, Cry Uncle which is based on the Michael Brett novel, Lie a Little, Die a Little and follows the misadventures of a slobbish private detective who is hired by a millionaire to investigate a murder the film features a great deal of nudity sex, drug use, and explicit acts of necrophilia and fellatio, and Hertz is just totally bowled over um, this I think mo- it was
1: Hertz's girlfriend that was actually the main girl in The Girl Who Returned
0: Ah, gotcha, okay, and and, and so Hertz is, like, is really impressed that he was able to get this movie made with the film itself. And he ends up contacting Kaufman uh, and getting hired on the production of the 1973 film Sugar Cookies, which we just talked about, right? So that's how they end up really getting into play. What you have to understand is Kaufman and Hertz complete each other. It is, like, that perfect dynamic. Hertz really stays behind the scenes. He's the business guy. He's, he's very, you know, quiet. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. I don't really have a ton of personal information about Hertz. I mean- I mean, the
1: running gag was he was so secretive that uh, during special uh, events or during like uh, promo videos, uh, famous 500 pound character actor, trauma regular Joe Fleischacker would put on a fake beard and like gray his hair and play Michael Hurts. Ah, yeah. Um, Also, this is very like hush, hush, rumble, rumble, but uh, he was the bad cop in terms of like the trauma production. Um, Lloyd was the was you know Uncle Lloyd he would yeah. like you know foster young talent and like work with them and uh, you know be the kind of uh, uh, figurehead that like drew, you know the cult of personality that drew the thing but uh, hers was the one that would inform you that you didn't get health care hers was the one that would fire you hers is the one that um, uh, maybe I heard an anecdote about him pulling a gun on someone I don't know <laughs>
0: I don't I don't you know these are this is pure heresy a legend and it's so funny because like having gone to the trauma offices so the trauma offices are in Astoria uh, I, I can actually walk to their offices from my apartment uh, I've been. I've had the fortune to get, go there on a few occasions. It's 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 crazy. It's amazing. Like in the basement, they have all all, all these old props from all the old movies, like crazy shit. The from Toxic Adventure. Sign. Yeah, all all that stuff. They've got all the. They've got reel to reels of like every single movie in the basement. Um and uh in the room, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz's office. It's just one room that you kind of desks kinda, are facing each other yeah you kind of step into it uh it's just one kind of biggish room and yeah the the desks are facing each other uh hertz's is is just got like very neatly organized has like pa- very specific paperwork like all like al- contracts and stuff very specifically organized on his desk lloyd kaufman's desk looks like Uh, uh, a carnival on acid of trauma uh, memorabilia costume pieces just craziness his desk is like a mountain of just trauma it's like trauma vomited onto a man's desk there's just shit everywhere signs and stuff everywhere
1: I mean he would do special features and uh, uh, what's the word interstitials from that desk that was like his basically yeah that was his set piece yeah that's
0: not a yeah that's not an actual that is actually his desk that he works (laughs) behind every single day and yes their desks face each other but you immediately you immediately get the sense of these two guys and their relationship without either of, uh, of them even being in the room like mm-hmm. you just know exactly what their deal is so they start working together and that is when they form in 1974 Chiroma. that is that is the the year that it begins um, in order to make some ends meet, Coffin needs to do some freelance work. So he ends up, uh, uh, among other things, serving as a location scout for Saturday Night Fever. He had a lot to do with the choosing of the nightclub in the film 2001 Odyssey. Um, we talked provided about provided production on Rocky. support
1: for my dinner with Andre.
0: Yes, so <laughs> weird. It's so insane, but it makes sense because these again are all independent, independent films in, in New, New York. York. They're all you know. And but yes, my dinner with Andre, the the classic. Uh, independent film. He he provided production uh, support on that. Um, he produced on The Final Countdown, the sci-fi movie about a time-traveling aircraft carrier. I think it even has the Troma logo uh, as one of the B- openings for that film. I think is in there. Uh, it's actually... the f- And The Final Countdown is actually the film that makes Kaufman never want to deal with a major studio again. It was his dealings, apparently, with... Th- he uh, says there. that all the time. I know. <laughs> um... So, also during this time, uh, from 1971, Coffin and Hertz wrote, produced, and directed uh, the, uh, their series of sex comedies. The sex comedy was, like, so huge during that time. And, again, I think that's also...
1: Minor crossover, but when we talk about the uh, uh, the Friday the 13th guys, their start was also in these low-budget sex comedies. Yep. It was just a very... Because if you don't have the budget to provide the spectacle of, like, props and sets and acting that a major Hollywood film does, you just settle for fucking titties and blood. Like, it's
0: very easy. Or titties and boner jokes. Yeah. You know?
1: Just Uh, stuff that you can't, like, stuff that still has an audience waiting for it, but, like, you know the major studios don't want to dirty their hands with you can just kind of get in there.
0: So you've got all sorts of uh, you've got their four big sex comedies from that time which was Squeeze Play uh, which is about a, uh, a men's softball team and they're too focused on their softball team to pay attention to the their girlfriends the girlfriends start a softball team to compete with them. I
1: believe that's the one where someone throws a baseball directly into someone's butt <laughs> and then the baseball sticking out of his butt. <laughs> it's very funny.
0: And then you've got Waitress which is uh, just a, a, a a woman trying to be an actress, and she's dealing with all these different hornballs and stuff in a, in a diner. You've got Stuck On You, which is actually a kind of a weird allegorical kind of thing about a couple... Um, separating in a, in a courtroom and, and I guess they talk about their re- past relationship uh, stuff going on and um, that, that one seemed a little less like cut and dry what it was and then uh, mo- most importantly though you have the first turn on which is argued as the, the, the best of the four from this time the first turn on is uh, essentially what happens is group of kids want to go smoke the weed so they're a bunch of counts- camp counselors and it's like the last day of camp so they go smoking the weed in a cave and the big fat guy, he farts so hard that it causes a landslide and and, uh, 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 traps them inside of the cave and then they all tell the story of their first... uh uh, losing their virginity they tell the story of the, their first turn on and uh, a, as they each go um, uh, they realize at the very end they're when they're all about to die because the oxygen's running out uh, in the cave they, they all admit that the, it was all a lie spoiler alert that they none of them had actually lost their virginity in Aww. that way um, and so they all decide to have you know they need to have sex before they all die and they bang so hard it's such a crazy orgy that it causes yet another landslide and they're freed. Aww. And it's just got some really I read I'm trying to remember now some of the sex stories, but they're all ridiculous and insane. Um, and uh, 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 very 70s sex comedies. Uh, Uh,
1: Kaufman claims that uh, shortly after this run of sex comedies, uh, Porky's comes out, (laughs) and basically the presence of actual skilled comedic actors and major studio support kind of squeezes them out of the market.
0: (laughs) And, I mean, oversaturation in general, right? Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of sex comedies happening at this time. It's kind of funny because I feel like the last big popular one, correct me if I'm wrong, was probably American Pie, right? I mean think You know Like I mean ha- Has there been one since And now Van Wilder
1: Like it's always just Under the surface People yeah. keep trying To bring it back But but it was really All oh, over uh, the place uh, Back in the day Chicken blockers Weird chicken graphic Blockers
0: Yeah yeah That was a sex comedy I guess that's a sex comedy Right I have to go Check that out Just to see where it stands But I, I, I God I remember like Horniness and in, in the teen year. I remember so being so excited about American Pie and going to see it like a dirty, raunchy comedy. There's still got to be a place for it, but I feel like it definitely was reached its pinnacle around the this time and like the 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 early to mid 70s, um, maybe a little bit more back again in the 80s, and then it kind of died out. Funny
1: story with American Pie. I saw it in theaters with my dad. Ugh. And uh, it was the moment, because he just assumed the jokes would go over my head, and then <laughs> when we both started laughing at the same jokes,
0: the energy got weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anywho, th- this is, but this is, uh, these sex comedies are essentially what paved the way, what allowed them to make the money they needed, and all this other freelance work, to lead up to 1975's The Toxic Avenger. 85. 85? 85. 85. Oh, okay. Very 80s movie. Oh, gotcha. I feel like, oh, this is what it is. In 1975, Kaufman has the idea to shoot a horror film involving a health club while serving as the pre-production supervisor on the set of Rocky. Mm. That's where I got 1975. He had read an article that said horror films were no longer popular, so he decided to make his own. He sets in a health club. It's originally called Health, health Club Horror. Club. Uh, it's written with the help of Joe Ritter, who would go on to write on all of the Toxic Avenger films. And he also worked as an assistant steady cam op on such films as Pulp Fiction, Starship Troopers, and Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, just to name a few. Uh, a guy that just it's up uh, sticking around Hollywood and doing a lot of stuff. Um, so originally, Melvin. The main character, the, the over-the-top nerd exaggeration. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if there is a more ludicrous nerd in a movie than Melvin in the Toxic Avenger. Uh, he's known as the monster hero, but it was actually during post-production that the name Toxic Avenger was used. The whole thing shot in New Jersey, various locations include, uh, uh, in 1983, and it ends up being released in 1984 on a budget of around $500,000. Um, uh it's it's very again just super low budge super cobbled together and what's funny is like calling it a horror movie it is really at its core a superhero comedy there's like nothing <laughs> there besides the extreme violence the there's violence like is nothing so, about it that I is still
1: get weird nightmares of that scene where he like puts the guy's head in the bench press weight and yeah. then slams it shut and there's just this gurgling jaw just like blech. so much violence uh <laughs> The scene, uh, I mean, almost, this is almost legendary at this point, but the scene where the uh, jock bullies are in a car discussing how they're coming, like, the point system of hate crimes that they're committing, where they're running people over for points, and they hit a kid in a bicycle. And it's just like, even today, I watched it, like, a year ago with a bunch of friends, and we were just like, (laughs) ooh, because you're not supposed to hit a fucking kid.
0: Yeah, it's just the the character... It's so over the top. It it winds back around on itself and just is and is what that's what makes it so funny to me. I mean the caric- like there's nothing like trauma caricatures. They are just so insane on another level mm. to the point where they almost barely represent the thing they're making fun of. You know what I mean? It's
1: honestly whether or not trauma is like doing effective satire or not is <laughs> something we could talk about forever because like. <laughs> is because in a way there's one interpretation that i love where like uh the toxic avenger actually cuts through the bullshit of like most uh superhero especially spider-man like um superhero stories where it is like a nerd becomes empowered and like through this uh unnatural strength kind of gains love and acceptance and like gets revenge but in the toxic avenger He just murders people He's just this like
0: weird freak That murders people And gets a blind girlfriend Oh yeah that's cute don't they have a sex? They they bang right too, and that's all. They, doesn't he have a huge dick? Isn't that one of the jokes? That's one in it that,
1: it's, been, it's I miss. It's it's hard to in a drunken haze of screaming. It's hard to remember a lot of the fine details. Um, I just remember that one weird shot of the monster just like roaring in like, and you can just see like downtown Manhattan in the skyline as the American flag <laughs> flaps near him. It's just like very. It's it works. That movie works.
0: Well, you know, honestly, and I think about this, and of course, and we'll, we'll we can talk about the toxic. Uh, crusaders cartoon show that that is insane how that came out of all of this because of how filthy the movies are and how filthy drum is that they were able to get a kids cartoon show but one of the draws of ninja turtles right for me growing up is i feel like they're kind of closely related oddly enough there was a lot of like green goop uh well the uh, towns avenger came out like
1: around the same time as the original comics
0: if not yeah, before there was a weird like yeah green glowing goo people getting mutated kind of rash mm-hmm. of of ideas coming out around this time because, right
1: uh, toxic waste was a big concern nuclear power was uh, being introduced across america uh, probably in the probably in response to the oil crisis in the 70s mm-hmm. and people didn't really understand how nuclear power worked and like how you know radiation worked uh but the Ninja Turtles similarities are, it's more than just superficial. Uh, toxic Crusaders was made by the same animation production company as the Ninja Turtles cartoon. The similarities are down so much that, uh, uh, Mary, if you can actually play the, uh, tox- uh, a couple of bars of the Toxic Crusaders theme song. Toxic Crusaders,
0: Toxic Crusaders I had no friends, no girls in Huffington I got radioactive ugly
1: toxic You know who's singing this right now? You know who's who? You know whose theme song this is? Chuck fucking Laurie. Ah, that's right. That's
0: amazing. Uh,
1: so, and the action figures are like pretty. You if you if you handed me a, a, a major disaster action figure without any knowledge, you'd be like, oh, what
0: franchise? Is be like, oh, this is some random Ninja Turtle. Right, and and the reason why I brought it up was one of the things I loved about Ninja Turtles growing up was going to the toy store and getting a new action figure and having my mom like be like ugh what is that that's disgusting looking that's what you want and being like yes because it makes my mom grossed out and I think that's so much of what trauma was like trauma represented just what is what your parents would just find so gross and repugnant and just be so like really you know and it's like I want that reaction I I want whatever my parents think is gross you know what I mean I want that in my life and I want to like champion it you know
1: Hello there, fellow wizards and fellow bruisers. It's me, Jake, here once again to talk about this week's sponsor, Keeps. Keeps was made for guys who want to stop their hair loss without having to resort to invasive procedures or just generic flim-flam. These are scientifically proven treatments. In fact, the only two FDA-approved hair loss products clinically proven to keep the hair you have. This isn't BS, this is just science. And yes, it's completely safe. They're generic versions of medications that have been around for years, but now they've never been cheaper and easier to get. Uh, I've talked about my own experiences with hair loss and how the treatments offered by Keeps helped me take control of that, but it was always way too expensive and way too much of a hassle to get them and keep up with treatment. But Keeps revolutionized this entire process. All you need to go through is a five-minute sign-up process. You answer a few questions, you take a few photos, and then within days you can start your treatment for just about a dollar a day you can start receiving medications that stop your hair loss and in a few cases even let you regrow the hair you've lost just a little i know no miracles time is of the essence the more hair you lose the less hair you keep so if you want to stop this thing today the easiest way to do it is to go to keeps.com receive your first month of treatment free that's right a free month all you got to do is go to keeps.com wizard that's dot com slash wizard a free month you know what are you even doing go to keeps.com slash wizard keeps hair today hair tomorrow i would i actually watched a bunch of the toxic crusaders cartoon you can find all pretty much all of them on youtube and i will submit that toxic crusaders is actually the best possible version of trauma yeah <laughs> because uh it's not like they had to they had to basically smooth over all the fucking anti social edges of it, but they still got to keep like the satire, the cultural uh 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 ribbing, the uh genre play, the uh uh a ton of cart- you know how like Lloyd Kaufman Fucking loves cartoonish comedy and people getting hurt and going like oh yes, takes. Yes. and in a cartoon you can actually do those jokes effectively because they're uh-huh. actual cartoons. <laughs> uh, it's actually incredibly well written. They do a ton of meta jokes where characters will just be like, I guess this was this will like you know a, an evil villain will explain some random part of his plan and they'll be like, Don't worry, kids, you'll re- you'll need to remember that at act three. Like it's <laughs> very it's actually surprisingly funny and meta. That's awesome.
0: Um, I know everybody I talk to like fans. Both uh, – the, uh, there's always two things. It's I can't believe they fucking made a co- children's cartoon out of Toxic Avenger, and then after that, it's actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, um. But uh,
1: that's what – yeah, without, like, fucking spilling my beans all over the floor, uh, Toxic Crusaders captures the best of both worlds because it is rebellious. It is, like – a fuck you to the man it is like you know making fun of the military industrial complex and corporations and american consumerism and uh all this stuff but it doesn't have fucking titty mutilation
0: <laughs> <laughs> see i'm a you know but i enjoy a little titty mutil- mutilation and my uh and my No, uh, yeah, indie it's film. great.
1: I just love just like, you know, the 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 same female form that like I found so like scary and like I was, you know, rejected me. I just want to like take it into my hands and destroy it. It's fun. <laughs> it's great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's very fascinating and
0: compelling <laughs> to just watch female bodies be destroyed. <laughs> So at first the film is shit. Just, I'm gonna get fucking emails. <laughs> <laughs> at first the film is a bust, but it ends up becoming popular um, after afterwards. It's released in 1984, but in 1985 it starts to gain a lot of steam, specifically at the Bleecker Street Theater in New York as a midnight movie. And 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 that you know and that's like Troma's wheelhouse, right? Mm-hmm. Is just straight up the midnight movie. The Bleecker Street Theater
1: was actually owned by Jackie Raynall, who was uh, one of like the um, The Warhol Girls. Ah. So, like, she had this, like, kind of cash, this art house, uh, uh, kind of, she was, what's the word now if I was, like, a shitty social media, uh, she was an influencer.
0: Ah, yes. Yes.
1: So, that was actually a huge break for him.
0: Yeah, very much Uh, so. From that one Midnight
1: movie, uh, it ended up getting released into 2,000 theaters.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. It ends up also leading to 3 sequels, The Toxic Avenger Part 2, The Toxic Avenger Part 3, The Last Temptation of Toxie, and Citizen Toxie, The Toxic Avenger 4. It's so popular that Toxie, aka The Toxic Avenger, ends up becoming the mascot for Troma. It's everywhere. It's, I mean, you know, on literally... on all the packaging, on everything. The Toxic Avenger is just is the symbol of Troma, which makes a lot of sense. It's just this mutant disgusting hero mm-hmm. you know and that's what they're trying to uh, tr- triumph you know it, it is is just like sh- disgusting b- b- monsters uh and and disgusting human beings and disgusting movies that are uh, rising above and, and you know and, be, and and uh happily gross you know um
1: I mean, to the point where Lloyd doesn't make a public appearance without some poor intern. It's usually an employee of Troma, whoever is the tallest or the most in shape, having to walk around in this single set of uh, of uh, Toxie costume with tights
0: and like a latex mask, mm-hmm. just kind of
1: like hanging around behind him.
0: Uh, I I've, heard a story <laughs> of um. I've spent I've spent some good time with Toxie at a uh, Trauma Trauma Fest, which will or Trauma Dance rather, the Troma Film Festival. We'll talk um, about. Uh,
1: director Joe Lynch at one point was working for Troma around the time of um, Terra Firmer. Uh and uh, at Sundance he had to walk around in Park City with the tr- with the toxic costume, and in fact uh, puked all over himself as he was introducing Lloyd uh, in front of uh, a list of celebrities, and everyone thought it was just a gag. <laughs>
0: So they also, uh, and for for the sequels, I would say that the reason for the season is the first one. If if you really love Toxic Avenger, definitely I would say check out Toxic Avenger. It is a marvel. I would ch- I if I would I would recommend it. Get actually.
1: some friends. Get some any sort of mood enhancing substance <laughs> and watch it together. You you will you will have a visceral reaction.
0: They filmed part two in 1989, but they ended up with so much material that they made it into two different movies. Well, That's part how two part was two shot entirely in Japan. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. And that was
1: Toxie goes to Japan. He like sumo wrestles a guy. Uh, well, it was
0: pretty much an entire Japanese crew. And that's how that while he's in Japan, while filming Toxic Avenger Part Two, uh, Lloyd Kaufman and uh, Hertz are approached by Tetsu Fujimura and Masaya Nakamura, who is the founder of Namco. Because that's a thing that happened. Namco and Troma ended up having a relationship together to create the Kabuki-themed superhero film. Uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man. NYPD. NYPD. Namco became a producer, giving Troma a $1.5 million budget to begin pre-production. They almost immediately have creative differences because, of course, Namco doesn't want um, titty mutilation and you know horrible blood and guts and, and filthy jokes and everything, whereas that's exactly what Coffin wants. Hertz is actually on Team Namco, by the way. Oh, yeah. Wants to, also wants to make a family-friendly mainstream film. Uh, but uh, Kaufman got to get that sex and violence in there, so um, uh, they they end up just having a lot of problems from the get go. They ended up cutting a PG-13 and an R-rated version together. Did you watch the R-rated version? I or think the- I ended up watching the PG-13 version uh-huh.
1: because there was like there was some gore, there was like some real gross-out humor, there was tasteful nudity, but nothing uh, truly vomit-inducing. Uh, but we skipped we skipped. (laughs) We did
0: skip some stuff but I just since you mentioned that they filmed that in Japan we're kind of jumping around a little bit here in the mid to late 80s do you want to talk about Mother's Day Class of Nukem High or Troma's War Jake
1: I think the big two is Class of Nukem High which is a classic it is another one of the big more successful not in terms of like money but in terms of as a movie that does what it sets out to do
0: like I said if uh I really in the last time I, I think I saw in the class of Nukemai not too long ago and had a blast actually, and I would say if you do love Toxic Avenger, I think the next one you should watch, as opposed to the sequel to Toxic Avenger, is actually Class of Nukem High. Mm-hmm. I love how over the top the punk characters is. It's referred to as a punk exploitation film because, like, kind of the the main the the bad kid crew in the movie look so over the top eighties punk kids. Yeah, I mean, it is it is so, ridiculous. Well,
1: the the conceit is is Lloyd Kaufman claims said he was uh responding to the uh i forgot the name but there's a nuclear plant like located oddly close to new york city that was opening up Mm. and uh you know this was his big environmental tirade against it uh where at tromaville a nuclear power plant is leaking radiation um and it's affecting the nearby tromaville high school and the honors class is getting irradiated and so naturally uh it's not just tumors it's not just um you know uh various cancers Uh, What the radiation does is immediately turn the entire honors class into Mad Max War (laughs) Mutated Warrior Savages.
0: (laughs) It's a fun conceit.
1: It's That's very funny. They call themselves the Cretans.
0: Yes, the Cretans. I, I, I actually do. Pure, truly, like if you were to if you were to say if you were blind to trauma until this episode and you act ag- you got curious about it, I would start with Toxic Avenger, move on to Class of Nuka Baha'i, and then maybe on the James Gunn angle, which we'll get into soon, uh, maybe check out either Kabo- Kabuki Man or Tromeo and Juliet, the James Gunn movie. Um, but anyways. Back to uh, uh, the timeline here. It's actually after Class of Newcom High is uh, Trauma's War.
1: This is a this I feel like is almost the most integral moment for the arc of Trauma, for Lloyd Kaufman, yes, for the entire so. production company, because Toxic Avenger becomes an underground hit, a huge hit internationally. Um, it was big in Japan as much as the cliche is. Uh, Class of Newcom High also, uh, you know, a schlock classic. Uh, they're doing good, and so this was their big swing for the fences. It was
0: intended as a criticism of what it saw as Ronald Reagan's attempt to glamorize war. And I have to say, after spending some good time with um, with Lloyd Kaufman at Troma, initially I think we were brought in. We were brought in uh, from my sketch comedy group, Murder Fist, if you can believe that. It really felt like a good fit, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. in a lot of ways. So we had a, and we were all excited. Like so many of us were super inspired by Troma growing up, and a lot of had to do with how we ended up with Murder. Fist you know it was because of those movies Um, and and one thing that surprised me when I sat down with Lloyd Kaufman was how politically concerned he was. It was definitely a large part of our discussion was his interest in politics and, you know, more obviously more left leaning politics and really wanting to put content out that had a political message that was saying something. I think for him, we were brought in because they were looking at, you know, starting up a YouTube channel and they were trying to figure out what kind of content they wanted to put out and maybe that we could help them put out content. For their YouTube channel, um, so that was kind of a lot of the reason why. And so, going back to Troma's War*, this was his big moment to make like a big political message, right? It was, uh, yeah, the uh, movie uh, for uh, just to like
1: put it in a in a nutshell, a passenger plane crashes on a deserted island where uh, it is discovered that they are sharing the island with a encampment of just the most broadly like <laughs> s- nonsensical arrangement of foreign and terrorists you know it's basically uh Hezbollah meets the Contras meets uh American separatists just like a mil- m- just a group of comically over the top militarized bad guys and the uh passengers have to kind of get on their level and rise to the occasion to fight back against
0: them plot points include a neo-nazi murdering a priest a brigade led Beca- by
1: the priest is a black man and he keeps like trying to convince him that he's not a Jew <laughs>
0: <laughs> a brigade led by a guy named senior Sita aka mr. AIDS who's trying to start an AIDS epidemic in America a guy getting shot in the dick with a crossbow uh, among many many other things there's so much going on in this this movie that uh, it is completely rejected by the MP- MPAA as way too violent to have an R rating so they cut several scenes from it and then they bring it back to including the whole AIDS subplot mm-hmm. so they end up bringing it back to the MPAA and they rejected a second time so then they have to cut even more out of it and apparently it is just so I mean I, I don't know you know because
1: uh, an X rating is a death sentence yes. they spent too much money on this fucker three that million they dollars an R
0: three million dollars the most that Troma had spent on any movie ever before. This was their big. Pre,
1: this is even with inflation.
0: Yes. This is their big, big step forward. And if there's one thing Troma hates, it's spending money. Yes, absolutely. So, um, that movie, uh, does not do very well at all. Uh, in fact, you know, even going back, like when I first started getting into trauma it was like, you need to see Toxic Avenger, Class Nukem High, uh, Kabuki Man, mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet, you know, um, uh, uh, the the chicken zombie, the poultry geist, all Night that of kind the chicken of stuff. Dead. Yeah, all that kind of stuff, and, and you know, and all the kind of side stuff. But never, I don't even remember Truma's War being like mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It just did very, very poorly. Well, I mean, and ends up tanking them financially, and is why they kind of went into and the whole, you know, we just went into Sergeant Kabuki Man. I mean, that is them also trying to go back to the past. And recapture the success they had from Toxic Avenger by creating a new mascot for oh, the company. They it,
1: got they pushed hard to make a new cartoon series around Sergeant Kabuki yes. Man. You can go online and find the test the, footage for that.
0: And in Sergeant Kabuki Man, it does make a great mascot for Trauma. By the way, like we, in fact, I am very happy to say. By the way, the Cowman, the band I'm in, is on the Sergeant Kabuki Man Wikipedia page because we did an episode of the Sergeant Kabuki Man Cocktail Corner um uh which is a, a web series that Sergeant Kabuki Man came out with where, where we got to hang out uh, I, I it exists on YouTube if you want to watch the Cowman getting interviewed by Sergeant Kabuki Man uh it was a phenomenal time I'm so excited that I exist in the Troma like universe it I'm going to so keep great. being the
1: bad guy here I'm going to I'm going to keep uh fucking being the foil the party sure. pooper here like Troma's War was like a big moment and like it kind of sparked uh uh the kind of mythology of uh Troma being this independent operation this like true underdog you know uh, Coffin started referring to uh, movie studios and the NPAA as like devil worshipping international media conglomerates and it's like yeah dude they didn't want to fucking put your AIDS man movie in theaters like get (laughs) over yourself maybe you shouldn't make a three million dollar
0: AIDS man movie where (laughs) a fucking Nazi kills a person like but the conjoined twins uh, uh, conjoined by the head they were pretty funny it's it's just like
1: either Be a fucking rebel and deal with being trash, or like stop like peering over the fence and being like, why won't you let me? Why won't you let me play with you guys? Because like, you make fucking titty
0: mutilation movies, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. It's not a conspiracy. And boy, do we love him for doing just <laughs> that. Um, so anyways, and also, by the way, this is the first time uh, I mentioned James Gunn before James Gunn, of course, director of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, thank God. I thought you were going to say Slither. <laughs> <laughs> well, also Slither. Uh, but uh, yeah, James Gunn would go on to direct Guardians of the Galaxy and get like huge success, be like a big Hollywood name. Um, ends up starting off with Troma. And one of the first things he did was direct a series of public service announcements featuring Sergeant Kabuki Man called the Sergeant Kabuki Man Public Service Announcement on Troma's Edge tv among other things we're getting to tromeo and Juliet in just a sec um also the in within sergeant kabuki man nypd it's very important to mention the ford thunderbird car flip Mm. scene because this ends up becoming an inside joke within troma i think this is i love this i love things like this like i love the wilhelm scream you know all that we should do a bonus up on the wilhelm scream i bet we could actually right uh uh, it's origin all the movies it's in all that kind of stuff and we could play clips from each movie we can
1: just play one (laughs) clip
0: no 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 Uh, so (laughs) but anyways um, this scene uh, involves a Ford Thunderbird car chase it 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 hits a car at an angle flips around upside down uh, 30 feet in the air it lands and then just for no reason explodes it's it's pretty amazing and they'll end up reusing it in multiple films A- at first it starts as them just reusing it to save money uh, and then it becomes so obvious and hilarious that then they just every trauma movie now just has this car flip in it and it is it so was originally
1: I, if i remember it correctly it's because sergeant kabuki man was actually held up uh, To get distribution Mm. and so while they were making another movie they're like well let's just use this because it is a great shot yeah for a low production very cool for an independent uh you know shoestring budget thing they get it from multiple angles uh kaufman was in front of the camera and claims that the car landed like a few feet in front of him, and that's a miracle he didn't just take the camera and run like uh it's a cool thing so like it's you know making the most of the resources you have so if you have a cool shot of a car flip I mean, we talked about how Michael Bay reused uh car stunts in uh, yep. the Island and Transformers. Mm-hmm. So,
0: so after trauma's war is a huge flop and they can't quite get it back with Kabuki man. Uh, Troma is then forced to reestablish itself as a smaller company. This is when a lot of the
1: uh, toxic Avenger sequels are made and they're considerably tamer because having been kind of like burned by the MPAA, they need those hits. They need to honor their uh, video distribution contracts because uh, again, X-rated movies means you don't even get into blockbuster.
0: And what they're essentially now doing is all their movies are essentially going straight to VHS or DVD. Mm. No real big uh, theater releases, unless it's like a small kind of debut yeah. situation, but nothing nothing bigger than that. Uh, next we have Tromeo and Juliet, and that is written by James Gunn and Lloyd Kaufman. Coffin becomes a mentor for James Gunn, essentially. He shows him how to write screenplays, produce films, scout locations, dir- uh, direct actors, distribute films, create his own poster art, all of that. He essentially shows James Gunn how to be uh, in the business, and um, the first draft of Tromeo Juliet surfaced in 1992. It was written by Kaufman and Troma employees, uh, Andy Diemer and Phil Revo. It was written entirely in Shakespearean verse and supposedly. iambic pentameter. iambic pentameter, indeed, and supposedly featuring the toxic Avenger as a side character. This idea was then scrapped as Hertz and others did not like the script, but Gunn goes on to completely rewrite it and um, again in Shakespearean verse and makes it darker and far more obscene. Now this original version had Juliet as a stripper and Tromeo as a crack dealer. Coffin goes on to do another rewrite, trims the verse, adds comedic elements, of course, and it ends up getting shot in the summer of 1995 for $350,000, one of the least expensive films in Charming's History. So they go from one of the most expensive films to one of the least expensive it's films. It's
1: actually kind of, uh, what kind of put the fire under their uh, uh, asses to actually get it made was they knew that Baz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet was coming out. Ah. And the fact that, like... Um, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet was about, like, they young, modern, like, cool kids. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, it's, you know, it's like the beautiful people. It's like California. So the counter to it is Tromeo and Juliet, which is, you know, New York City, grimy, like, emo, not emo, goth, scene kids. Like, the entire thing is yeah. – uh, it, it represents kind of a jump where – you know, uh, Kaufman was already an older man when he was making Toxic Avenger, making fun of '80s kids. Yeah, and now with the uh, James Gunn's James Gunn's energy, he made something that resonated more with like. 90s
0: outcasts and like uh, nerds, and for it definitely and it definitely you know it has of course all the gore and all the all that good stuff, and it definitely felt more of the time. And this a is lot a, of incest. This is around the time when I'm starting to get this. Is still a little before my time. It has in Lemmy of, and
1: Motorhead from Motorhead. Yeah, this That's, is a
0: little more before my time than when I actually like got around to checking it out. Um, but yeah it was um, more of my time I remember that also this around the time when Cannibal the Musical gets distributed by Troma that was a huge boon like they
1: might not have like stayed in business if it wasn't for Cannibal the Musical
0: directed and co-starring Trey Parker Matt Stone all produces and is also in the film uh, he's Trey Parker is uh, studying at University of Colorado at Boulder it starts off as a three minute trailer made for a film class and the trailer does so well that Parker and Stone raised $125,000 for the full length film uh, and they br- uh, though it was first shown in 1993 in Boulder Troma picks it up in 1996 one year before South Park Debuts. Just perfect timing. Get that movie out there. And I mean, I, for one, I think I. Bought it at one point. The sky
1: point. is blue and all the trees are green. Grade. My heart is full like a baked, baked potato. potato. I think you know exactly. It's it's the brand. Yeah,
0: totally. Let's hang that bastard. We're gonna <laughs> hang him high. I, it's I, all I love. All we're asking it. for. It's all we're asking for. <laughs> it's a <laughs> spadoincoline. <laughs> day. Spado- I like loved also, it, and also it was not amazing because it was clearly like a first film. Uh, like most
1: trauma movies, there's a few. Glorious high points, and then a lot of eh. Yeah. Um, according to Kaufman, uh, his relationship with uh, Trey Parker was so intense that he offered to produce South Park before South Park, uh, under the pretense that they relocate the, uh, the the location from South Park, Colorado, to Tromaville, and call the show Tromaville.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. So, anyways, uh, this brings us to Terror Firmer, which I. I kind of want to see. I feel like of all the movies we it's I covered in this intense, I kind of want to go back and actually watch it. 1999 American comedy horror film directed by Lord Coff- Lloyd Kaufman, <laughs> Lord Kaufman, um, written by Douglas Buck, Patrick Cassidy, James Gunn, and Lloyd Kaufman. It's a it's a based on the book that came out that James Gunn actually wrote with the help of Lloyd Kaufman called All I Need to Know About Filmmaking I Learned from Toxic Avenger. Essentially, Lloyd Kaufman's book about filmmaking and it's about a crew trying to make a low budget movie while being stalked by a bomb-toting serial Not just
1: any crew, the crew of a Lloyd Kaufman movie. I mean, they don't, he plays himself as a blind director under a pseudonym I forget what they do, but it is gory, it is nasty it is a brutal movie. Um, the cast and crew talk about just like all the horrible things they went through. Um, there's a scene where Lloyd Kaufman pisses all over a couple that's fucking in a bathroom. Um, (laughs) It ends with just, like, the grossest depiction of hermaphrodism I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, that's the thing in trauma. They do a lot of hermaphrodites.
0: It's shows. very odd how completely, like, I thought, you know, it builds it up to make Lloyd Cott like, he is so down to earth and easy to talk to and not insane. And actually, when you're talking to him, it's almost hard to imagine, like this guy made all of this crazily gross shit it's like i mean he alludes like he makes jokes and stuff and alludes to the stuff that he's done but it's like he's like not the guy you picture in a lot of ways, when you think of the guy that makes movies like these, you know yeah. what I'm saying? He's an upstanding pornographer. Exactly. Um, so, anyways, uh, Tara Firmer, I think that's a really interesting idea. The book itself too is written in a really weird way. They they kind of turn the editor into this like uh, character in the book. A lot. It's 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 a book about filmmaking that that sort of goes back and forth between being an actual work of of like how to and being this weird sort of um, trauma. Esque like uh, like a uh, uh, just horror-ish kind of uh, fantasy. You know, it's it's really strange. I really, I, Again, I kind of want to go read it based on what I've read about it. Um, again, Troma reaches financial hardship with the film Tales from the Crapper, believe it or not, uh, which cost $250,000 despite most of the footage being completely unusable. They end up getting sued by 1988's Playmate of the Year, India Allen, one of the producers uh, who backed out because of various things including breach of conduct, sexual harassment, trade sl- lander all this business coffin um, would actually end up having to go on to reshoot the whole movie or reshoot a lot of the movie and divide the footage into two parts as a double feature it's just a total shit show um, and it definitely brings them back into another situation of being kind of down on their luck down and out um, and after that the next big kind of landmark for them is poultry guys night of the chicken dead uh, that movie is a trip <laughs> have you seen it? it's a musical uh-huh um I, I again
1: clips. I just tried to absor- I I watched Sergeant Kabuki Man uh, for this. I had watched Toxic Avenger, and then I just tried to like absorb and yeah. talk to fans and watch interviews. Uh, but I mean, like from the moment one, our ca- all first of all, all the characters have weird allusions to other fast food restaurants. So our main character, Arby, uh, is down and out after his girlfriend Wendy comes out as a lesbian. Uh, complete with her girlfriend with giant fake hairy armpits. Um, and uh, irradiated chicken egg. Chicken gets into uh, America's Chicken Bunker, the yes. fast food restaurant. Uh, the crew there had a horrible time. They were sleeping yes. in the basement of a nearby church in the middle of summer.
0: Well, and this is where we're at, too, by the way, because this actually is kind of how movies get made through trauma from here on out. Mm. It is largely fans that are totally just volunteering they put an ad out on craigslist and um, other various websites uh, and hundreds of people applied volunteers traveled as far as sweden germany australia numerous parts of the united states because by this point they now have a bunch of like diehard trauma people mm-hmm. that 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 this is like pretty much how this studio stays afloat now. There's just so many people. There's literally just like wayward kids that just show up at those offices ready to work for free, intern, do whatever it takes because they love Troma so much. They grew up on it. It's so important to them. And um, there's a lot. It's interesting. The kind of the people you meet at the Troma office are a fascinating crew of just like diehard indie movie people.
1: The people that I've worked with on Troma Films talk about it being basically a trial by fire Um, You know, uh, Kaufman will show up on the first day and uh, fire someone right there on the spot to prove that, like, you know, even though this is a volunteer job, like, you can go at any second. Um, uh, You know, just ramen and cheese sandwiches and black coffee, 24-hour shoot days. And uh, the people that survived the process basically... Say that, you know, within the two years that they could slum it and work on trauma films, they learned more than, like, their friends learned in entire, like, film school programs.
0: Exactly. Because
1: you just had to fucking do it and, like... Get it done right
0: there on the spot. goes back to the whole thing that we said in the beginning. It's just like, fuck it. Just make the movie, mm-hmm. you know? Just go, 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 and do not stop. It was shot on a budget of $500,000, largely financed by Kaufman and Hertz. Kaufman ends up going into his retirement oh, there's a, fund to there's get it There's a made.
1: Muslim woman named Hummus, <laughs> uh, because this was kind of post-9-11 uh-huh. uh, uh, stuff. uh uh, she ends up saving the day by revealing that she was wearing a suicide vest the entire time. I believe I'm I don't. <laughs> the clip I watched was pretty. Uh, she basically uh, she, like she strips off her burka and ends like a suicide vest and like a hot. she turns out she's a hot bikini lady. And Arby, the main character, just goes, God damn, I want to fuck you. <laughs>
0: Nathan Lee of the New York Times says, "As perfect as a film predicated on the joys of projectile vomiting and explosive diarrhea can be, but what's amazing about the trauma films that come out? They're reviewed by the Times. Yeah, they're reviewed. They just did this big retrospective at the fucking Museum of Modern Art, Jake. The Museum of Modern Art. I mean, this is like they are. They're weirdly barely staying afloat." In these, in in, a, in a, a largely kind of like a pretty Trouble tiny, shitty office. At any office. given
1: time, hires uh, at like about ten people. Yeah. this is a company with about ten people, and a worldwide cult of of fans.
0: Yes, they, and, and 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 at the same time, they're oddly taken seriously, though as much as they're. They're the longest
1: at. surviving independent studio in movie history.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it's you know they have legit. Uh, connections, they have legit respect in the industry, and at the same time, they're, like, insanely disrespected. You know? It's very it's very fascinating um so anyways poltergeist that's one of the last like kind of big ones that came out of trauma um uh there's also father's day which is uh, as cop put a response to mother's day which was made by his brother back in 1980 um it was a horror film uh that ebert gave zero stars uh ebert uh roger ebert says of mother's day the question of why anyone of any age would possibly want to see this movie remains without an answer And so Father's Day came out. That was released in 2011. Shot on a budget of $10,000. It won several awards at the Toronto After Dark Film Festival and a Night of Horror Film Festival. Speaking of film festivals, also Troma Dance uh, was founded in 1999. Originally held in Park City in Salt Lake, Utah. And again, in the spirit of we're going against these Established film festivals that pretend like they're proponents of the independent film, but at the end of the day, they're all elitist, you know, snooty art people. So we're gonna make *Trauma Dance*, and people can actually get their movies into our festival without having networking and hobnobbing and sort of connections and things like that. That's kind of what. Or they- if you
1: make like a good movie, like *Blair Witch Project*, and like <laughs> it just stands out because on its merits, despite its low budget, because uh, it's not just about fucking, uh, you know, melting a hooker's face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or that, or that, you know, whatever.
0: It's called the first and only film festival of the people, for the people, and by the people, dedicated to bringing independent art back to the people. Primarily funded by donations, and the festival's employees and volunteers are entirely unpaid. It has been in NYC since 2014. I think I was at that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Murderfist performed at Troma Dance. Kalman have performed at Troma Dance. Um, it was at, I think, Pine Box, I believe, was the name of the... of uh, the uh, in Bushwick? Yeah. Fine be- box rock shop. Yeah, it was kind of trying to go against the grain of 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 these other established festivals. It was actually Trey Parker who urged Lloyd Coffin to create his own film festival, apparently. No, they took
1: Cannibal the musical to Sundance to Park City despite having not gotten into Sundance. Uh-huh. And that kind of sparked the Troma Dance. Uh, yes.
0: So uh that that has is still going on. There should be a Troma Dance this summer, um I I, I believe. And, I mean, it's so funny. We should go
1: to it, and then after this episode comes out, people will just throw their drinks at me.
0: (laughs) Oh, also, I just realized um, uh, the last Troma Dance, I think, was at the People's Improv Theater. Oh. And I ended up being there because I was doing a show with National Scandal, and I ran into Lloyd and my friend John Brennan. Shout-outs to John. He's a great dude. Always, always just such a fun dude to hang out with. He's our connection. He's actually who we met that got us in with Troma. And um, every time I see Lloyd, he gives me... um, he gives me a business card. Literally the book that I'm reading that's in my shoulder bag, the bookmark for that is Lloyd Kaufman's business card. He's always so enthusiastic about connecting with me and, and working on some kind of project or something. He he's that kind of guy, and I really do love him for it. And I do have to say, shout outs to Lloyd because he has always been nothing but nice to me. He's always been such such a sweet guy to me and um and to all all of my like people in Murder Fist and everything. And um and that's a cool thing, you know, and he, he's always he's He's always interested in your project or, or, wh- or what you could bring to the table to create something with him or with his crew or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's a really kind of neat thing how personable he is because he does have a bit he of. An does aura recognize
1: about him. incredible talent at a reasonable price?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, bu- uh, there's uh, before we run out of time, I just want to do a little segment. Sure. Uh, because we talked about the movies that uh, you know Troma made themselves but they also are a very important distributor for small independent movies. The kind of, you know, the Troma Dance Spirit is, these are movies that like people don't really, you know, wouldn't have a shot, wouldn't have a, you know, people would not be seen. And just by the fact of getting picked up by Troma, they at least get that initial seed of audience Mm -hmm. and that provides a very valuable service. Uh, So I'm just gonna read some of the movies acquired by Troma and uh, I put in a few fake ones. So uh, uh, you're gonna tell me if this is real or fake. Gotcha. All right, uh, stuff Stephanie in the incinerator. Fake. Real. Okay. Uh, fertilize the blasphemy bombshell. Real. Real. Uh, killer condom. Real. I know uh, that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, weed meat madness. Fake. Uh, I just switched the words around. Meat weed madness is real. <laughs> uh, penisella. Real. They're all real. They're Franken sluts. Real. <laughs> Teen Ape versus the Nazi Monster Apocalypse. (laughs) Bikini Swamp Girl Massacre. And this is my favorite. This is my favorite thing in the world banana motherfucker (laughs) the movie
0: (laughs) (laughs) most recently was Return to Newcomb High again it was a movie they shot so they had so much material they ended up splitting it into two volumes Uh, volume one was released in fall of 2013 at the Museum of Modern Art and um, the New York Times said that Coffin fans will be delighted to return to learn that time has eroded neither his love of nudity nor his disdain for political correctness
1: that one was actually backed by the stars channel
0: yeah
1: Uh, really yeah uh, that was where the the seed money came from because they've been at it for so long that like people who care about movies who care about uh, uh horror who care about comedy uh have s- in the past 40 years made their way into executive positions at major companies and are willing to still like give Kaufman the respect he, he uh has worked for uh
0: they also have uh v- volume two coming out apparently uh it should be uh, out uh, March 8th, 2018, is supposed to be the LA premiere, and apparently it's already been screening around. Um, I think it was at uh, what Cannes Film Festival back in May 2017. Um, and there's also
1: the Toxic Avenger musical, yes, that, uh, that did quite well. Uh, a west off West End, off Broadway, they're, they've been trying to get it to Broadway, and it's a I, you can listen to some of the songs online, it's a rockin' like kind of rocky horror. Uh, kind of deal. I think what they're going for is because it's set in New Jersey, uh, they're going for that Springsteen vibe. So gotcha. it's, if you can imagine, like Bruce Springsteen meets the Toxic Avenger, it's actually like it, it, it's it, it you know it snaps.
0: Okay, I know we've left some stuff out and forgive us for doing that. Marvel Comics published a Toxic Avenger comic book, in, uh, uh, for instance, but I think we covered it pretty well enough. Thank you again uh, for uh, the to the patron who donated for that one. Thank you so much, dude um greatly greatly appreciate it so happy to get to do this one this was such a fun one for me because it does have such a close tie to a lot of what i did um kind of growing up and a lot of my influences for murder Fists and stuff like that so once again case aiken thank you so much man and, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, if you want to check us out, check us Speaking of Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash for just five bucks a month. You can get the bonus content that we put out every single week. And also, you can, uh, for $50, like this guy did, you can make us do an episode of something. So there's always that.
1: Uh, other tiers will let you, uh, get a t shirt. Uh, you can enter our Discord where we have meetups and uh, virtual hangouts with fans. And, uh, you know, even at the even at lower levels, you can like vote in polls that decide what topics we end up doing.
0: It's a whole crazy situation over there. Wizbrew uh, Also, Patreon. I guess the, the bonus show us. is
1: actually really good and funny and level, <laughs> I guess.
0: Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, you can check me out on twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. You can find me on twitter.com at bestjakeyoung. Have a good one. Toxic,
1: toxic Crusaders, Toxic Crusaders. Toxic. Toxic.